Well, good morning, Ironworks Church. My name is Robbie Schmipperger. I'm the pastor of the congregation in Westchester, and it's my joy to welcome you this morning and to bring God's word to you. Uh, this morning, we're looking at a passage that is truly one of the most popular passages and most well-known passages within all of Scripture. It's right up there with Psalm 23. It's up there with the Ten Commandments. It's 1 Corinthians 13. This is a passage that is often read and, and preached on, on weddings on, as the focus is on love. And uh, I wanted to look at this passage because we need, to understand, we need love right now. We need to understand what love is and how it works within our lives. And my friend Andy Steger, he's a natural comedian and a pastor in, in Europe. But he said this, that during the first month of quarantine, you wonder if you're going to like the people whom you live with. And during the second month of quarantine, you're, you wonder if you're going to like yourself during quarantine. And, and so as we lean into this passage, the point is we need kindness, we need grace, but how's that work? So I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 13 uh, from the, the English Standard Version. So let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's Word. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have lost faith, all faith, and if I have all faith, correction, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the, the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word, and may your spirit be at work in our hearts right now. Even as we are scattered, may your spirit be at work in, in our hearts, as your word does not return empty. So speak to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Ben Affleck's newest movie, The Way Back. It's fantastic. Affleck plays a character who was a shining basketball player back in his high school days. And he was given a full ride, a full athletic scholarship to play the NCAA Division I basketball. But he walked away from basketball. He walked away from the sport. He gave up. He never picked up a basketball. He just, again, he just walked away from it. Until, until he became a basketball coach. And he's giving a, a ride home to one of his players, and his player uh, asks him, hey, why did you walk away? Why did you leave it all behind? And so Ben Affleck, at that moment, shares a very personal story. 
He tells a story about his dad, how his dad uh, did not care about him. He did not uh, really pay any attention to him whatsoever until one person told him and another person told him and then another person told him that his son was good at basketball. And at that moment, his father began paying more attention to him. And so then Ben Affleck, his character, gives this piercing indictment that his father did not love him, but his father loved what he could do. This is often how we think about God's love for us, and it shapes how we love others as well. We think that God only loves us when we do things for him, as opposed to God simply loving us and loving us. And so what we do is we dive into religiosity, and this could not be further from the truth as what we see here in the passage. And at our core, the, what Jesus does for us is that we are not primarily servants of God. We are instead children of God. And so this false idea that we have shapes also our relationships. For example, say someone comes to you, someone who is very close to you, and asks, why do you love me? Why do you enjoy our friendship? How would you answer them? Do you love them or do you love what they can do? If you say, I love you because you make me laugh, you are reliable, you are a good cook, you do the laundry, you do, etc., those answers are all about what they can do for you. What each of us desperately wants to hear within our hearts is that I love you because I love you, and that is what God's love for you is like. It's inexplicable. It is what we desperately want and crave and long for and need. And God, God, God intends for his love to transform our life as well. And as Christians, we must embody his love and have redemptive relationships. So we need to step into each other's lives and be pictures of Christ's love to one another by being a picture of Christ. So this is what I want to consider this morning. And let's just dive into this passage. And as we look into this passage, we, see, we learn something about the priority of love. And we see this in those first few verses, verses one through three. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am Nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, then I am nothing. What I want to point out here is the priority of love. Paul's biggest takeaway, to really just summarize the, his argument from those uh, few verses, is that he is saying this, that you may have some special insight, some special skills, some special discernment. You may have, be a brilliant communicator, but none of that matters whatsoever if you have not love. And as Paul is making this argument, he's alluding to things that Jesus even said and taught on. Consider this in Matthew 7. Jesus said, just because you prophesy does not mean that you know me. In Matthew 17, Jesus rebukes his disciples for having a little faith. Faith can move mountains. And so here Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 highlights something for us. You can be a person of great faith and hope, but that does not matter. Comparatively speaking, that does not matter whatsoever if you have not love. You could give everything away that you have. You could be constantly serving others. But if you do not have love, you have gained nothing. And this is actually something, again, Jesus points out for us. And this is in Matthew 6, 23. If you are offering your gift at the altar, in other words, if you are making a sacrifice to God, 
And then as you're about to offer your gift to your brother, and you remember that, yeah, if you're about to offer this gift unto God, and then you remember that your brother has something against you. Not where you have something against another person, but your brother has something against you. Then stop what you're doing. Stop offering your gift and go immediately and be reconciled to your brother. First be reconciled to your brother and then return, come back and continue offering your gift. In other words, and comparatively speaking, the gift nor generosity nor service is not important. But the reconciliation with your brother is What we see right here is that love is the priority of the Christian faith. So what does love look like? What does love look like? And this was in verses 3 to 7. That's what's often read very specifically at weddings. And so when we hear this description of love, that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. When we hear this description of love, it's very easy for us to feel guilty. It's easy for us to feel condemned because our life is completely the opposite. Just think about your own life. Have you been patient or have you been impatient? Have you been kind or have you been harsh? Have you been generous Or have you been selfish? Or have you been open to compromise? Or have you been insisting on your own way? And see, the character of love that Paul is describing for us is actually the character of Jesus Christ. Paul is describing for us the person of Jesus. That's whom he is describing. So just think about the gospel stories. When a woman who is caught in sin is brought, really dragged before Jesus and thrown at his feet. And the religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus. What the religious leaders are doing, they're treating her as a project, a pawn to trap Jesus. And they throw him before Jesus and they're looking for Jesus to judge and condemn her. And at the end of that story, Jesus asks her a question. Has anyone condemned you? She replies, no, no one. Then Jesus replies, and neither do I. Go and sin no more. And throughout the Gospels, we also see Jesus doing something also very similarly. When he would see a crowd, for whatever reason, whether it's their uh, spiritual lostness, if it was for their physical hurt and pain, how they were being enslaved to sin or other uh, other realities, Jesus would see a crowd. And as he would see them, he would have compassion on them. On them, And so as he would see people who were sinned, he would preach the gospel of hope. As he would see people who were hungry, as he fed 3,000 or 5,000, he would feed them and meet them in their hunger. Other times when folks will come to Jesus simply looking for a sign, looking for the newest miracle, just being able to say, hey, I was with the celebrity religious leader, Jesus. When those folks would come to him and ask him for a sign, Jesus would just walk away. Because he did not want to feed their idolatry whatsoever. And then even thinking about the patience that Jesus exuded to his own friends and relationships. Think about Peter, for example. Peter, uh, he would always be, be rather arrogant. And, and very specifically, there's this one time Jesus is saying, Hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I don't want to die upon the cross. And Peter says, Hey, hold up, Jesus. We have better plans for you. And at that moment, Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. Just think about the patience that Jesus had when there was so many different competing agendas for Jesus' mission around him. 
Think about the patience Jesus needed. Think about uh, the, the type of friendship that Jesus had with Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus with a kiss. This same Jesus is the one who went to the cross and he died for your sin. And this is how Paul puts it in Second Corinthians. He who knew no sin became sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. And so in other words, what we see right here is the, is the character of love. This is a description of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is also doing as he is describing what love is, as he is describing the character of Christ, this is also the character that we as Christians should be described by. Christians are called to live, uh, to live a loving life and to love others like Jesus in such a way that our lives are not about us. Instead, our lives are about the glory of God and the well-being of others. We must be a picture of Jesus Christ. And if we want to love like Jesus Christ, we don't do that whatsoever. We don't do that by having a list of things to do where we just check off this description of a loving life. If we actually want to love like Jesus, we need to lean into who he is, contemplate who he is, and worship him as he loves you. So where does this love come from? Where does this love come from? Well, it comes from God. The Apostle John put it like this in, in 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He really pinpoints the issue. He really pinpoints our biggest problem in life. Our biggest problem in life. The reason why we do not love is because we do not know God. If we want to love, then we must know God for all love flows from God. He is the source of all love. And our biggest longing, as I said earlier, in life is to be loved. It arises in how God made us. It arises in how God designed us. We are meant for relationship with God, with ourselves, with others, with the world. But due to our sin, all of our relationships have been corrupted and marred by sin. All that has occurred because we have been separated and disconnected and alienated from God. Because we are alienated from God, everything is impacted. At best, our relationships, even the miscommunication we have in our relationships is because we don't know God, the conflict, the emotional abuse, being absent. All that occurs because we don't know God. If you look in Genesis, we see God creating this incredible design for our lives. And when you get to Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, the very first thing that Adam and Eve do to one another is blame one another. They say, actually Adam says to God, uh, this woman whom you gave me. So Adam is actually blaming God and Eve for the sin of Adam's life. If you look at the next chapter, we see two brothers, Cain and Abel, and Cain is jealous, and he murders his brother. So what I'm, the picture I'm giving you, the picture that arises out of Scripture, is all our relational conflict and animosity arises from the fact that we are alienated and disconnected from God. The strife within our hearts, the strife within our relationships exists because we are disconnected from God. There is a connection between all our conflict and disconnection and isolation from one another with our isolation and disconnection with God. 
If I think my wife or my sons are the neediest people in my life, then I'm going to be smug and arrogant and truly insufferable. Because the reality is, the person who needs God's grace the most is you. It's me. This is why Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. The neediest person who needs God's grace is you. And if you want to grow, change, and be transformed, that's the starting point that you need to operate from. And if you want to grow, then we need to know God through Jesus Christ. And that involves where we come to God because God is the source of all love. But, and we come to him in humility, confessing our sin and crying out for his transforming spirit to be working in our hearts. And this changes our daily life. This changes everything about our life. Consider Ephesians 4.32. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. So as we think about love, God's love has demands upon our life as well. And this is the, these are the demands of love. And as Christians, the simple point that Paul is pointing out is that we have been forgiven by Christ. We have been forgiven by God. And the legitimate test of our faith is how we forgive others. Do we give grace to others? Do we assume the best about one another? And do we show kindness to others? And this is an area, let's be honest, this is an area that every single one of us struggles with in one way or another. And it is truly a refreshing reminder to think about the Christian faith as being a life of repentance. That the Christian life is one of repentance. In other words, what I mean by that is that central to the Christian life, the way of Jesus, is for us to confess our sin, to say sorry, to apologize, to own our wrongdoing, and to repent of those things, to turn away from those things. That is the norm for the Christian life. That is something that we need to be doing daily and every day. And during this season right now, where all of us are being stressed for one reason or another, we are all stressed. It is very easy for us to take out our frustrations out on one another. And if your family is like my own, you may hear someone asking, what are you really mad about? What are you really mad about? My friend Dan calls this the hidden pain. Actually, he got it from his, his wife, Jane. The story goes like this. With our first baby, Dan suggested that maybe they should name uh, their baby Ron. But Jane became uncharacter uncharacteristically irate. And she adamantly opposed the name and even cried over the suggestion. And Dan asked her what was wrong. And she just said, I just think we need to move on to a different name. I don't like that name and I, I, I don't want you to force one on me. And so what, and Dan goes on to say that like be, being young, I took her at her word. But and, but later on, I learned that it was only, and it was many years later, that she had a boyfriend by that same name who wronged her and abused her badly. And so the point is, what is the hidden pain going on in our hearts? Because what love demands of us is for us to listen to one another, to hear each other speak, and to also hear to the, the words of the heart. James tells us that out of the, the mouth, the heart speaks. 
So what is the hidden pain going on? What are you really frustrated and mad about? Because as I said, everyone is stressed right now. Everyone is facing unique challenges. And yet at the same time, everyone's challenges are different. And we all are incredibly needy of God's grace. Consider an example of my, from my own house. And I think this was last week. But the other, so last week as my son was eating breakfast, uh, he, he's having his, his, his cereal. And he leans in and he's playing with his bowl. And then he spills his milk. And he spilled milk from his, his cereal bowl. And all of a sudden, the well of his emotions just sprang out. He just started crying and yelling. And, and honestly, it was too much for me to handle at 7.30 in the morning. And so I just told him, stop it. But seriously, does that work for anyone? Parents, does that work for your own family? It took me a, a, a moment, two moments, three moments. It took me a while. It, but it took me a few moments to realize that my son didn't need a dad to come in and say, stop it. That's one of the reasons why he was, in fact, crying. He was really embarrassed and, and by his own clumsiness. But it took me a moment to realize that instead of the, mo the thing that my son needed most right then and there was simply a hug. Like the, here's a kid who hasn't played with another kid in weeks. But did I stop to consider that his emotional outburst came from someplace else? Or did I consider that my stop it came from a desire to have a quiet morning where I can just have a quiet cup of coffee? Did I consider those things? Because as a father... My role in his life is to be a picture of the, his heavenly father's love for him. And I failed in that moment. And so, like, as I reflect upon this, I went to him. Uh, it was a day or two later, and I confessed to him. See, this is one of the beautiful things about the Christian life. I'm able to go to my son and, who, who, and, and say, I'm sorry. I, I sh should not have said, stop it to you. I, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Daddy's a sinner. I'm able to go do that for one very simple reason. Because I'm already forgiven by God. And I'm loved by God through Jesus Christ. That simple truth liberates me. It liberates me from trying to preserve uh, any picture of my own perfection. That simple truth, because let's be honest, I'm a big sinner. I am the neediest person in the room. That simple truth liberates me and empowers me to go and to confess my sin, to say I'm sorry, because... We are all loved by God through Jesus Christ. That truth empowers us to go to others and to confess our sins and love one another because we are all loved by God through Jesus Christ. And, and because we are loved by God, and that love has no equivocation. And this is something that Pastor Darren preached on now eight weeks ago from Romans 8. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. We are loved by God and that and there's no equivocation. And so we are able to say that we are the neediest person in life. We are the chief of sinners. And that enables us to love one another in returns. And so my prayer is that may our lives be defined by this love. May our lives and relationships be defined by this grace. And so may we all have loving and graced relationships. Let's pray together.